Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki, back in the dining room studio for another edition. Let's get into it. What's on tap for today? Well, obviously, we have to try to make sense of what the hell just happened at Edmonton. I mean, I'll tell you what, a game like that, a 6-5 Jets win, a roller coaster victory... The debacle, we'll go back to Saturday, the debacle that was late in the game against the Senators. Another blown last second loss for the Jets to this season. I swear to God, it's got to be something like 10 times in the last seven years. Well, we'll break down who's to blame. Is there anybody to blame? And I guess more importantly, why does this keep happening? And then we're finally a quarter way into the season, so it seems like... Everybody has to hand out report cards and grade how players have done a quarter way into the season. Not a fifth into the season, not a third into the season. It's quarters and halves. So we'll see who's picked up an A so far. Are there any Fs going around? And maybe which players are trying to explain to their parents, yeah, I, I lost the report card, but don't worry. It's all good. It's solid, I swear. Just don't ask the principal or the teachers. But even before the Jets hit the ice, a big night for the organization. It was the Moose season opener, and Cole Perfetti scores in his first pro game his first pro goal. Future superstar. Uh, and also on top of that, Declan Chisholm got on the board, so that's great to see. A lot of people think, you know, that's a guy that could be an NHLer. And, and again, another great find as a fifth-round pick. Sounds like Hanel and Sandberg. Had a pretty solid outing as well on top of it. So all in all, a really good night. Uh, you know, a loss for the Moose. But in reality, everybody just wants to see these young guys have some success right out of the gate. And it sounds like a pretty good start for that despite not getting the two points. But before we get into the madness that was Jets-Oilers, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And how paydays can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action, ranging from basketball to golf. And DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to all the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night. And it's super simple on top of it. 
Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Yeah, the sweat. Every moment means more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there really isn't a better place to get in on the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Super easy to play and sign up. I'm actually still, you know, I I entered uh, promo code THPN. Made a lineup on my first night. Able to win some bucks. And you... On top of it, you don't even have to finish super high to make a little bit of money, right? Like, it's not like you have to finish first out of, you know, 400,000 people. But I'm I'm still kind of playing a little bit off that one. So, going to have to hit up a lineup the next time the Jets get onto the ice this week. And maybe I can make a couple more bucks. I was able to get Andrew Cobb for super cheap, but that's not really an option anymore. All right, so where to begin? Jets, Oilers, 6-5 victory. I, <laughs> I, I guess we could go period by period. Ultimately, though, you know, I was talking with uh, Hustler, with Andrew Patterson during the game, and he was just, we were both kind of saying, this is just madness, man. Like, <laughs> what's going to happen by the time the third period rolls around? And I, I just kind of mentioned to him, you know, a game like this is really exploiting the worst flaws of each team. And I think that's kind of what happened. Like, I, like, I mean, you're always going to be happy when, when the Jets find a way to win a game. But you're not going to be happy with the process of that one. And and what happened? Well, the Jets were sloppy in their own end again. Failed to break out of their own end cleanly time after time. And they got pretty decimated on the shot clock and by the fancy stats. With Edmonton... What happens with them? They can't get a save. And, and I do wonder at some point here, you know, my, my buddy Ross said, can you please start the MAF, the Flurry to Edmonton rumors, please? Which is fair. Like, at, at some point, you have to do something, right? Whether it's Flurry or Darcy Kemper out there in Arizona, you really wonder if Edmonton's just going to be content with going with Koskin and Smith all season long with a much needed playoff berth on the line. But I thought of anything, the Jets actually had a decent start to the game before things kind of got off the rails in the second period. I mean, the Wheeler pass to Shifley on the power play is just saucy. I mean, that's, say what you will about Blake Wheeler's start to the season, but for the rest of this year and even moving forward, if he eventually does lose a step and his game takes a step back, the power play is going to be there. Like, he's going to be an elite power play contributor, and that pass is exhibit A of why... Blake Wheeler is still going to be pretty productive on the man advantage and a hell of a shot by Mark Shifley too. The placement there was absolutely perfect. The Kyle Connor release on his goal was just absolutely nasty. And we'll get into it, you know, as we break down the game, but I thought that might have been Kyle Connor's best game of the season. He 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 looked absolutely outstanding. You could tell early on that, you know, just a little more jump in his game. Also don't think it's a coincidence that he has his best game of the season. And Paul Stastny and Nick Ehlers are his line mates. It's kind of funny how when players are put beside those two, they tend to have 
some of their best games of the season as well. Now, not all good in the first period. I mean, Edmonton did have a pretty hefty shot advantage there. And then you have the one goal. Dylan DeMello, he just he tries to make an aggressive gamble at the blue line, and he gets burnt. I mean, you hate to blame it on one person on a goal, but he kind of cost the Jets. I don't mind the play he made. He just he didn't make it, right? And you know what? Maybe I shouldn't even say that. Because if he just kind of steps back, and even if you allow Chason to get the puck or you just avoid him getting around you, it's a two-on-two there, and you're in an all-right position. So maybe an aggressive play Dylan DeMello doesn't have to make if you're not 100% sure you're going to stop him there. Now, I did see some people get on Connor Hellebuck for the goal going in, you know, the whole short side thing. Look, I hate goalies as much as the next person, as much as the next reasonable person. <laughs> but there's there's two things sometimes when a goalie gets beat. There seems to be this weird sort of saying that a goalie can't get beat short side. Okay, why? <laughs> like, well, why can't a goalie get beat short? It's okay to get beat far side, but you can't get beat short. That has never, I've never understood that. Especially because on that play... You know, Chason as a righty coming down the left wing. I mean, it's it's tough for a goalie to get a read on that one because he can kind of put that puck either way. And and two, the other thing is that, I mean, he's, what, five feet away from Hellebuck at that point? Like, there's not really much of an opportunity to react to where the shot's going. If he puts it past you, he puts it past you. So I I was a little surprised people were... Getting on Connor Hellebuck on that play, I didn't see it. And all in all, despite, and this has kind of been a common theme with Helly, despite giving up five goals on the night, I thought he actually had a pretty good game. I, I don't know how many goals you would put on him. To me, certainly not the first one. Second gets underway. Wow, Mike Smith is not the savior. Shocking. Who could have seen that would come? Oh, wait, everyone saw that coming. I, I, hey, look, it's an unbelievable shot by Nick Ehlers on that fourth and final goal of the night. But, man, I mean, he's almost on the goal line, Mike Smith, and he's already on his knees before the shot even gets released. So I understand Dave Tippett giving him the yank. Mason Appleton, a nice play by Mason Appleton, too. But, I mean, both those goals, probably ones you would like to see your goalie stop. And so at that point, 4-1. Now, hands up. Who thought the Jets were actually going to comfortably carry that 4-1 lead all the way through to the final buzzer? I see no hands up. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I was at, too. I, I mean, Koskinen comes in, and my initial thought is, you know what? If the Jets could put one past him early here, they're going to be okay. You get to 5-1, you would think they're not going to blow that one. But then Toronto did blow that one to Ottawa last night as well. So, hey, maybe no lead is safe in the North Division. But I, I definitely felt even at 4-1, this is still danger territory here for the Jets with, you know, over half a game to go. And then you take a penalty, and that power play is so, so lethal. I'm not even going to blame the penalty kill on that one. I mean, th there was that one shot, actually, of McDavid, uh, you know, essentially from behind the net, the camera. I mean... It's it's so ridiculous some of the stuff that he does out there, but the complete there's no look passes and then there's that no look pass. You know what I mean? And Connor Hellebuck actually came pretty close to stopping the Nugent Hopkins shot. Give him a ton of credit on that one, but that's just a ridiculous play. 
by the best player on the planet. So 4-2, th- that, th- right there, the next shift, the shift after that, that's when real, real danger time, the danger zone, the Kenny Loggins area starts to come into play for the Jets. And I mean, holy guacamole, the Jets are just awful in their own end. I mean, some of the stuff that goes on, you would think, like I thought early on in this season that they were they were starting at least to maybe shore that up. They, they looked a little more sound. They looked a little more composed inside their own end. But that's just completely gone out the wayside over the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Like it's just... It's just ugly for the Jets right now. And they looked, I mean, I guess the main thing is they can't break out of their own end. Like, it's just, that's it. It's that simple. They need more puck. I feel like a broken record, but they need more puck movers on the back end. They need to find a way to transition, and they just don't do it. Like, these chips off the glass, that that seems to be the primary mode after the first couple breakouts, you know, don't work out super well for the team and it's just I can totally understand you know Jets fans being frustrated with what what seems to be the same old same old thing happening over and over again it's frustrating like yeah there's no other way to say it we'll see if Paul Maurice makes any more adjustments moving forward now I mentioned it there after Kyle Connor's goal in the first period but it just kind of continued into the second and I mean he makes the great play the the pass to Nick Ehlers on on Ehlers goal but, I, man, Connor just looked engaged, and I thought he was using his strengths, you know, the most he has probably this entire season. And just how quick he is with his feet and his hands. And Ehlers Stasny continued to look great as well. It just – I hey, look, I, I want Nick Ehlers to play 20 minutes a night like the rest of us. But Ehlers Stasny have been pretty solid, and we'll see moving forward as Shifley, Kopp, and Wheeler can be a good trio together. You know, I, I thought they were fine against Edmonton. Nothing really jumped out the page one way or the other. But there does seem to be a special kind of chemistry with, with Ehlers and Stasny. So I, I do wonder, and again, when Pierre-Luc Dubois comes back in, how do you fix up the lines? I, I don't really have a great answer for you. The one thing that does seem to be certain is that whatever line Nick Ehlers is on seems to produce offensively at a prolific rate and whatever line Paul Stastny's on for the most part seems to be pretty damn solid. So, I mean, those two have been, you know, for my money, as good as anybody on the team so far this season. Now this stood out to me in the second as well, even with the jets almost blowing the lead, they would eventually blow it in the third period. But Neil Pionk, did you guys think he played Conor McDavid pretty good in the game? I mean, it was Pretty evident that Pionk forward again, your top pairing. And in this one, given the primary shutdown task of slowing down Connor McDavid, but I thought Neil Pionk did about as good of a job as he can against Connor McDavid, especially on the rush. I mean, he skated, again, as, as well as he can, stride for stride with 97. I was pretty impressed with Neil Pionk. And, and he stepped up as well a couple of times. That beauty hip check. It's about time we bring back the hip check in the NHL, by the way. But a beauty hip check on McDavid in the third. I just thought there was a couple times where McDavid comes flying through the zone. And, wow, Neil Pionk's actually, you know, forcing him to the outside. He's not allowing him to the front of the net to get a shot on Connor Hellebuck. And, you know, I've always... 
it's always kind of amused me a little bit when when we see how coaches try to shut down the most dangerous weapon maybe the sport has ever seen. And there's this, you know, there's this obsession of we got to get a big guy on him. How could we slow down Connor McDavid? How could we physically stop him? And I've always thought, you know, we're going about this the wrong way. If you're trying to slow him down, it's an impossible test to begin with. But why are we trying to physically find a way to stop him? Like, you don't think Connor McDavid has dealt with players and teams his entire life trying to bully him, trying to play him physically, and he's found ways to adapt and evolve and succeed? To, to me, I love putting, when it comes to defending skill guys and speed guys, I love putting small defensemen on players like that. I, I think it's way more important to try as much as you can to eliminate time and space as opposed to trying to exert yourself physically on somebody like that. So I don't have a problem whatsoever. And hey, with the way the team's situated moving forward, for Paul Maurice, when it comes to defending some of the higher upper-end guys in the NHL, put Neil Pionk on them. Like, make Neil Pionk the primary shutdown guy. Sure, it's maybe not the role that you know, a lot of people envision when you say the name Neil Pionk, you probably think offensively leaning power play guy. But I don't know. He's looked pretty good so far going up against, you know, the top lines in the NHL. And I thought, you know, as far as defending Connor McDavid, he's done as good of a job as just about anybody has in the NHL for sure on this season. But in my opinion, in a long time on on trying to slow down Connor McDavid. And what does he end up with? A couple points probably on the night? Like the, There is a limit to, to what you can do when 97's feeling it. And of course, what happens to start the third period, essentially, Connor McDavid makes a great play at the blue line. Barely onside, but I think Paul Maurice made the right move not to challenge that one. And to me, this was maybe the one misstep of Neil Pionk's night on a night where I thought he played really, really strong. Uh, but he was right there on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And you could tell he was even looking as Pugliarvi picked up the puck there. He knew that the cross-ice pass was coming. He just missed it. He just didn't make the play. Yeah, he just didn't make the play. Like, that was it. <laughs> it was that simple. I, I thought he would. It, it seemed like he was making the right read. He just, for whatever reason, Pyong just missed the puck on that one. So a tie game, it's been back and forth. It's been topsy-turvy. I have no idea what the hell's going to happen next. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody else did. Maybe you're kind of expecting the worst at that point. But then, and who would have thought this? One of the more unlikely things that we haven't seen a whole lot of this season happened. A Blake Wheeler five on five points. That's right. The captain gets on the board even strength. And then a great play by Shifley uh, down low there, going low to high. A really nice one-timer, well-played shot by Josh Morrissey. Just great work all around, really. Good job. Great effort, guys. It's just pretty wild that we we get excited when a Blake Wheeler 5-on-5 point happens. It's a bit of a rarity. But hopefully we get a little more of those as the season moves along. Actually, I've thought over the last... I, I, couple games maybe it started against Ottawa but it looks like whatever was ailing Blake Wheeler earlier in the season if there was something 
is out the window. I, I think Blake Wheeler's look quicker. I mean, not on the goal specifically because he just parks himself and makes a great redirection. But it does seem like he's moving a little bit better out there, which is great to see. And we'll find out if, you know, that early season bump in the road was, hey, just that, just, you know, an older dude taking a while to get his sea legs under him. Ho- hopefully it's that. I mean, there's a lot of years left on that contract still. But all in all, the captain steps up, makes a great redirection there. And the Jets find a way to hold on. It was not pretty. I didn't think it was going to be. And it definitely wasn't. Uh, And it's funny, too, just how, I mean, the margins are so, so minor in the NHL. But Connor McDavid, with the goalie pulled under a minute to go, he he makes the perfect play. It's a slap pass at the side of the net. And we're talking about, I don't even know, an inch. Maybe a couple centimeters here or there, and we're probably having a completely different discussion and a completely different tone around the game. Uh, But the play misses there, and the Jets find a way to hang on. And it's a big two points because they really blew it against the Senators on Saturday. So you find a way to, you know, keep your playoff spot. It's, I mean, Toronto loses. I don't know if you're even focusing on them much, Jets fans, right? Like, if, hey, Leafs halves, you want to go run ahead and hide with the top two spots, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. But important, you put some distance between yourself and Edmonton. You still have games in hand on top of it. Uh, the Flames are, I don't want to say super far away in the rear view, but again, a little bit of distance there. And you've kind of pushed Vancouver out of it. So that's, that's good if you're if you're the Winnipeg Jets here, is that you're really dealing with the two Alberta teams. You just need to find a way to finish ahead of one of those, not even both of them right now, right? Just finish ahead of one of them, and hey, if it's Edmonton, that's just fine with me. But we'll see what the encore's like. I mean, you got the the Oilers again on Wednesday night, so hopefully, well, I don't know. Does it matter? Do you guys really care all that much, too? I, I wonder, like... I mean, all that matters in this shortened season is getting the two points. Is there, is there all that much of a brouhaha about how the Jets find a way to get it done? I, I don't know. So sometimes I wonder that, you know, when the Flyers play, I'm just like, just get the two points. Who cares? Move on. Get to the playoffs, and then we'll worry about what happens after that. Uh, but, yeah, let, let's hope that it's a little more sound process-wise. It's the only game we're going to have uh, before our next episode on Friday. So we'll see if... Jets Oilers part two this week lives up to the hype of the Ridge. All right, so we mentioned it earlier. Let's go back to Saturday night. Sorry, Saturday afternoon quickly here because, I mean, it was almost a problem against the Oilers, but this has been a problem for years here in Winnipeg. And I tweeted it out after, after Kachuk's tipping goal went in. But the Jets... Maybe it's morbidly funny, but they're absolutely legendary when it comes to not blowing games, like not blowing leads necessarily, although that was an issue one year. But I've never seen a team at any level of hockey that finds a way to avoid going to OT as much as the Jets do with like 10 seconds to go. Not like a couple minutes, seconds to go. They're just elite at it. There's no other way to put it. Like, they find a way to avoid... When when every team in the NHL 
tied late in the game, find a way to get that loser, that bonus point at the very least. And, hey, if you get the second one, that's dandy. When every team finds a way to do it, the Jets know we're bucking the trend. We're doing the opposite thing. We're going to lose, and we're going to get nothing out of it. And it happened again against Ottawa. So now there, there's two different discussions about this play and about the Jets, you know, giving up games with seconds to go. First, let's just break down the individual play because what happened in that game against the Senators isn't necessarily like a repeat of what's happened in the past. I think other games have, you know, the Oilers one, for example, when they score the buzzer beater, that to me was a little more representative of, of some of the issues with this team. But we haven't seen it a whole lot yet this season. We saw it a lot last year, even though he won the Vesna. Uh, but Connor Hellebuck blew it on the play by trying to play the puck. To me, it was that simple. We can talk about some of the issues that come after that. You know, no one tying up. Brady Kachuk in the slot, allowing him to get a free deflection on the puck. But if Connor Hellebuck is either more assertive on the play or even doesn't freaking touch it and just let Derek Forward grab the puck and rip it around the boards, take it, whatever it is, take it icy. Connor Hellebuck just made a bad play on the puck and he put his defenseman in a bad spot and ultimately he put the five guys on the ice in a bad spot there. He's been really good again this season. I don't think we've seen the poor play with the puck on his stick bite the Jets just yet. But it did at the worst possible time in that game. So that play specifically, I would put 100% on Connor Hellebuck trying to play the puck. But it does bring us to a bit of an overarching discussion about why do the Jets do this? Like constantly, year after year, why do the Jets find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory or the jaws of the loser point, the bonus point. I, I mean, the easy answer, and I think one that a lot of people in the city are going to lean to, is that it's the head coach's fault. It's Paul Maurice's fault. That ultimately it falls on his head. For this one, I will kind of agree. I mean, it's he is the constant, right? And they're, sure, for different plays, for different goals, there's different reasons for why the breakdown happens. But, you know, a lot of people tweeted me after the goal, surprise, surprise, Shifley Wheeler out there again. Well, my, the last time I checked, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler do not throw themselves over the boards late in the game. That's the head coach's decision, right? Like, if we're going to complain about mistakes made by certain players that maybe aren't necessarily as good in the defensive zone as they should be, the head coach shouldn't put them out there. So I, I kind of, you know what? I think there is a little bit of validity to, you know, Paul Maurice needing to bear the brunt of some of those issues late in the games. And you could say it's a lack of focus. Well, it's up to the head coach to have his players focused. If they're not focused. Don't put them out there. And if it keeps happening, find a way to get them focused. I think this is a Paul Maurice issue, and he's going to have to find a way to fix it. You know, it, it's in the grand scheme of things, it might not matter. You know, that one against the Senators, you know, hopefully the one against Edmonton earlier this season isn't one that bites them in the ass come the end of the 56 games. Um, the Oilers, or the, sorry, the Senators one might not hurt them, 
but you just don't want to see it come playoff time. Anytime. Who, who cares what it is playoff time regular season? You don't want to see it in a game that means a lot to the team that they get their hearts ripped out of them because those same issues persist at the end of the game. Guess we'll have to find out and wait and see if the Jets find a way to keep that from happening. Yay. One more thing before we go. By the way, you're listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Player grades. A quarter way through the season. Let's see how certain members of this team are doing. Now, good news is no Fs. I didn't give out any Fs. So that's nice. I was close on one guy. Uh, but I thought, mm, I think there's maybe some underlying reasons for the poor play of this suspect. And that's not necessarily on the player himself. So we're not going to give out an F. Maybe two. We should be a little a little gentle. It is still, you know, just, just over 10 games into the season. Uh, but let's get the C's out of the way first. Those are kind of the boring ones. Now, by the way, I, I graded, you know, the players on the Jets. I guess with an expectations curve, right? Because, you know, Mason Appleton's, what does he have? Nine points? You know, nine points for Mason Appleton is different than nine points for Mark Shifley through 14 games, for example. So let's just keep that in mind when I make these uh, grades. The reason I say that is because one of the two players I gave a C to was Kyle Connor. I mean, when you look at the the base production, it's pretty impressive. Connor right around a point a game, essentially. You know, likely to lead the team in goals this season. You know, probably going to finish around, you know, 35 to 40 goal pace. So you might be thinking, well, hey, idiot, that's not C level. That's at the very least a B, probably closer to an A. But Kyle Connor to me, has just played up to expectations so far. Like, he hasn't exceeded them or anything. He is what he is. An elite offensive producer. He's going to score as good as some of the best in the NHL. But he's going to be awful defensively on top of it. And is that not what we've seen this season so far? So, yeah, I, I think Kyle Connor's been fine. I just, I'm not going to give him a higher grade just because he scores a ton. He's just done what I think everybody should and has expected out of him so far this season. The other C I'm going to go with here is Trevor Lewis. I think Trevor Lewis has been, yeah, like I said, with Kyle Connor. I think Trevor Lewis has been fine. A guy that was given a PTO. All he's trying to do is make the team. He's made the team. And at the very least, I don't think he's been a, a hindrance or a negative. I, I think he's been just a good addition to the fourth line there. And, and to me, there's no reason to take him out of the lineup. I think he's been pretty solid so far. So... A nice little piece of work by Chevy to get Trevor Lewis in. One of the few guys, and, and people hate this here in Winnipeg, but it happens all over the NHL, where you bring in a veteran just to have a veteran down there on the fourth line, but he ends up being a net negative overall. Trevor Lewis might be one of those rare guys that, wow, he actually contributes and is a veteran and has Stanley Cup experience and can provide all the intangibles that teams love to have. So... Next, let's go to the B letter grades. Then we'll leave the A's and the D's to the end here. I'm just going to put the goalies as a B. I mean, Brassois hasn't played a ton, but he's been good, I thought, uh, in the in the three games he's played so far. 
And look, again, this is why I mentioned before we're grading on expectations on a bit of a curve. I mean, Connor Hellebuck entered the Edmonton game with a 921 save percentage. The same save percentage he had last season when he won the Vesna. And again, the defense in front of him hasn't been very good. So it's like, dude, what the hell? That's an A. But if we're if we're going into the season expecting essentially a Vesna performance, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I might need a little bit more to convince me that Connor Hellebuck has an A so far this season. Maybe a B plus. Let's give him a B plus. How about that? And we'll say that the A wasn't given to him because of the puck misplaying fiasco in that Ottawa game. I don't have a problem with Connor Hellebuck's game at all this season. I, I just, yeah, I'm just not going to give him an A through the first quarter of the year. But, hey, 921, sign me up for that for the rest of Connor Hellebuck's life. I don't think anyone's going to have a problem or has a problem with how he's looked so far this season. Logan Stanley I'm going to give a B to. No points for Logan Stanley, but the underlying numbers were actually pretty good with him on the ice. And I think just, you know, the fact that he is a contributing NHLer, I think that's a really big step from where Logan Stanley had been through the first couple years of his professional career. So great for Logan Stanley. I think he's been, at the very least, he's a guy that I think he's going to be a third-pair defenseman for the Jets. You know, maybe not this season, but certainly moving forward. Another D-man, I was kind of wondering if I should give him an A, but I'll give Derek Forbert a, a solid B, probably a B plus. I think he's been a real steady guy on the back end, maybe the most dependable defenseman that the Jets have had this season. And hey, when it comes to defending leads at the end of the game, that's no doubt about it, one of the two defensemen that I want out there for the Winnipeg Jets. Three forwards left here with B's. You know, Matthew Perot hasn't really gotten the credit that I think he deserves for the start to the season so far that he's had. I, I think he's been pretty damn good. You know, he's, I, I believe, the leader in Corsi and expected goals for the entire Jets team so far. And he's been a big part of that really solid third line, which we're going to hear a bit about in a little bit. Uh, but I, I've been pretty impressed with Matthew Perot's game so far. And some of the things that people get pissed off about him, which is he's always hurt and he's always taking penalties. The opposite has been true so far this year. He's been durable so far through the first 14 games. And he's only taken one penalty and he's actually drawn two penalties. So he's plus one in that department. Pretty good start for Matthew Perot. I wanted to give Paul Stassi an A. Because I just, I love everything about Paul Stasny and his game. But we'll stick with a solid B. Maybe it's just because the point production hasn't been completely jump off the page. Which we're kind of looking for out of the A's. But don't be shocked if Paul Stasny is just a B plus for the rest of this season. I'm not going to be surprised either if he sneaks into the A category by the time the season's done. And I'm going to give Mark Shifley a B as well. Which might be a bit harsh. I, I like is that a bit harsh? Because he's I think ten to league scoring right now. Like how is that only a B? But it was I don't know. It was hard for me to completely push aside some of his defensive issues through the first seven or eight games of the season. I think he's gotten a little bit better, especially with Nick Ehlers on his side, and especially, you know, splitting up Wheeler and Connor and that whole line. Yeah, maybe it's a little unfair, 
Yeah, maybe it's a little unfair, but I'm going to stick with a B for Mark Shifley. So, A's and D's. Which do we want to save for the... Well, you know what? Let's end on a positive note. So, we'll get to the D's. A trio of players that, to me, have underwhelmed a little bit so far this season. Well, we'll get to the one that's maybe not top of the food chain. And I don't even know if it's necessarily his fault either. Uh, but Nathan Beaulieu is my first D through the quarter pole. A again, he's kind of being thrown to the wolves. Like, it's not, again, not Nathan Beaulieu's fault that he, for a number of games, was being used as a top-pairing defenseman. He's not, and he never has been. So it's a little unfair to put him in that spot. But even having said that, it's it's been it's been a struggle-filled start for Nathan Beaulieu. But again, I don't know how much you really expect out of a third pair defenseman, a guy that came into camp as you know a six-seven guy. But maybe you would like to see a little more solid play out of Nathan Beaulieu. Not not good enough for me, and I'm going to give him a D for his start to the season. Now the guy he's been paired with. That was the one guy I wondered if I should give an F. The only F through the first quarter of the season. And that's Josh Morrissey, obviously. And I, I hate to kind of continue to dissect his game and talk about what's wrong. And, you know, is he ever going to get back to the height that he was when he was paired with Jacob Truba? But over the last couple of games, it's been kind of hard to ignore. It's just... It's struggles after struggles for Josh Morrissey. And I wonder, you know, how much of it is him trying to do too much again? You know, feeling like the weight of the world is on his shoulders to an extent. And he's just, he's trying to do everything all at once instead of just focusing on his game. Maybe there's a little bit of that as well. You know, but the reason I didn't give Josh Morrissey an F is that, again, I think Paul Maurice is asking too much of him. You know, he can't carry a top pairing if... His defensive partners are Nathan Beaulieu and Tucker Pullman. There's a, maybe 10 guys, maybe 10 guys in the NHL that could do that. And Josh Morrissey isn't one of them. He needs a little bit of help. And I think Dylan DeMello is that guy. And I would I would like to see DeMello and Morrissey get another chance together. And I, I think that's about as good as the top four is going to get this season if you're not going to call Vili Hanel up and, and make kind of that shocking move. Uh, but I, th I think it's fair to say that everybody wants to see more to Josh Morrissey and is hoping that let's get that bounce back season that we all anticipated at the start of the year. The third D we're going to go with is Blake Wheeler. <laughs> I mean, should we talk about the horseshit analytics? Should, should we talk about, I mean, we, we all know, we all know what the start has been, right? Really good production on the man advantage. Lacking everywhere else. When you're getting paid 8.25 on the cap, I don't even, people will say, when you wear the C on your chest, well, who cares what the letter is? He's making 8 million. That's to me the most important thing when we talk about what somebody does, you know, performance wise. And I would say not good enough. Doesn't mean he's not going to provide that as the season goes along. I mean, it's been dissected enough. Slow start to the season last year for Blake Wheeler. End of the year, the last 40, 50 games, super strong and showed that there's still a lot left in the tank. That could be the case again this season. But 
for me, tough to argue. Really poor defensively, analytically really poor. I test for a, for a large chunk of the season so far also has underwhelmed. It's just been, you know, the, the power play production makes the point totals at the very least look really, really solid. So I'm okay with giving Blake Wheeler a D. I won't be surprised, though, if by the end of the season he's somewhere up above a C and maybe might find himself in a B. Hey, who knows? Maybe even a B-plus category for the captain by the time 56 is done. Now let's get to the great news, the A's. I mean, the obvious one here, Nikolai Ehlers. He's right there with Mark Shifley in the race for the team's scoring lead. I mean, he pops off the page every single night. He's been absolutely outstanding. I made the prediction before the season started that he was going to be this team's leading scorer. And at the very least, he's he's going to make it a competition down the stretch. So we, we've seen what Nikolai Ehlers can do and. To me, that was the easiest decision out of, out of everybody so far that we're giving him an A, maybe even an A+, plus, uh, for the first quarter mark of the season. A couple other forwards here that I'll mention quickly. Let, let's go with the two that have been on the same line all season. Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton, to me, deserve A's. I mean, Mason Appleton, over the course of 82 games, is on pace for like 50 points. He, he's been just really, really solid on that third line. And that promise, the potential that we saw when he won Rookie of the Year at the AHL, that, that great season he had with the Moose, you know, the Jets might have something here. And, hey, at the very least, it looks like Mason Appleton's floor is really good third-line contributor. Might be a guy that, you know, based on the salary cap being stagnant and all that, might be a guy that, hey, we feel pretty good throwing him in our top six as a bit of a support piece on a scoring line. So really promising start for Mason Appleton. And we got to give some love, too, to Adam Lowry. This might be the best Adam Lowry's ever played in the NHL. I know he's had some impressive playoff runs before, but I, I would say it is the best he's been. And I, w- I wonder if some of that is, you know, the lengthy time off, if there's been some injuries that he's been allowed to recover from. But he looks quicker. He's been a force physically. The offense has clearly been there. He's already pretty much outscored himself from the year prior. I, I don't know if you could ask more out of Adam Lowry than the start we've seen so far. He- he's performed like a second-line center, never mind a third-line center. So really encouraging Adam Lowry start. If he keeps this up, and if Pierre Dubois kind of rounds into form eventually, whenever he is fully back into the lineup and gets into a rhythm, this team is going to be scary down the middle. And one more forward that I have with an A grade. And yeah, to me, it was an easy decision as well. Andrew Cobb. Andrew Cobb has pretty much been a point per game player all season long. And for a guy that, you know, a lot of people pencil in as a third line winger to start the season. I don't know how you take him out of the top six moving forward. He looks like a no-doubt-about-it top six winger. Just extremely impressive development from Andrew Kopp this season. A guy that, you know, when he must not be named, Patrick Laine was, some people said, demanding, I want this, I want this, I want this. Andrew Kopp was the one guy that said, yeah, my play is going to do the talking. Thank you very much. And he is speaking loud and clear right now. Just... I, to me, a perfect start to the season for Andrew Kopp. The offense is there. The defense hasn't left either. Still 
I mean, to me, pretty clearly the most defensively responsible winger this team has. And he can take faceoffs as well. I just, I don't know how you can't love the start that Andrew Kopp has had. And one last A to give out. We talked about the way he was able to semi-slow down Connor McDavid in that win against the Oilers. I'm giving Neil Pionk an A. He's been this team's best defenseman. As of right now, he is this team's best defenseman. And he spearheaded that top pair with Derek Forbert. To, to me, he's just been solid as all hell. I, I mean, he hasn't missed a beat from his kind of breakout season last year. And I, I do wonder, too, if he shouldn't be the, the power play quarterback as well on, on PP1 and take over from Josh Morrissey in that regard as well. I Yeah. I, I just I love everything about Neil Pionk's game right now. You wonder where the next contract's going to be. But through 14 games, to me, certainly deserving of that A grade. Well, I think my voice is shot, and I have to go to bed. So that'll do it for another episode of Skates and Plates. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, I, I've loved connecting with you guys on Twitter. If you haven't followed me already, hit me up at Brandon underscore Rewiki. It's 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 been fun, and I love connecting and still communicating with you guys over the last week or so. So thank you for all of that, and I really really appreciate you guys listening. Once I get this whole setup completely figured out, we're gonna get some guests on. We're gonna have a ton of other new content. It's it's gonna be a blast. I promise you, it's gonna get a lot better as well. So I appreciate you kind of dealing with me as I figure out. You know, this brave new world that I find myself in. Uh, so episode Friday, that's coming up in a couple days. Just one game for us to break down. Jets, Oilers again at Edmonton. Maybe we'll do some system dive and, and talk about the key plays, the big moments, break down some goals for, goals against, hopefully not too many against. So we'll do all that, a ton of Jets, Oilers, and then we'll get you another great food interview. We've got a bunch of these lined up. So I'm really excited to bring the latest into the bustling and the outstanding culinary food scene that we have here in the city. So one last time, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. This has been another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Peace.